Now, you might be wondering whether or not this service is going to be incredibly long. And it would be a good, it would be a good question. So I, I, I have intentionally uh, shortened my sermon so that we don't do that. So if you'll have to forgive me, I normally you know, have a lot more illustrations and, and talk a little more freely. I'm going to have to, in some ways, slavishly stick to the manuscript or else it will be very late by the time we're done. Because we also have the Lord's Supper, too. We have a full day. Now, okay, so uh, well, let's get started. And, and by way of introduction, have you ever been really devoted to something? I mean really devoted. Do you remember Michael Phelps in 2018? He was like one of the most decorated athletes in the history of the Summer Olympic Games. He put so much time into his training. I mean, the guy pretty much swam like a fish. He was built for it. But I don't know if you knew this, but he swam a minimum of 80,000 meters or nearly 50 miles a week. Can you imagine that? Training for six hours a day for six days a week. Now that is dedication. Now, why would anyone have this much devotion or dedication to something? Well, here's a few reasons that I could think of. First, it could be the pursuit of a desire, like a degree or finishing in first place or getting a boatload of medals. Second, it could be the pursuit of something incredibly valuable, like a career or even a relationship. Third, it could be something of practical value that makes our lives better, like exercise. What I want us to see today is that because Christ is so wonderful, we should be devoted to live a life of observant and persistent prayer, especially praying with the missionary heart of God for the gospel to flourish. That's what we're going to be looking at today. I want to give a, a, a brief background, and then I'll read the scripture, and we'll pray, and we'll move into this text. So sometime in the early 60s of the first century, Paul was arrested because he was accused by the Jews of causing a riot. He was kept in custody for two years. Um, waiting. Felix was waiting for him to grease his palms so he could get out, and Paul never did that. So after these two years, the Jews tried to get him to go and be judged in Jerusalem. And their whole intention was actually just to, to, to have an ambush along the way and kill him as, on his way to Jerusalem. Paul found out about that. And instead, he appealed to Caesar and said, I will go to Caesar and be judged at Rome. As a Roman citizen, his request was granted. If you want to read about that, it's Acts 26, 25 to 28. And during his imprisonment, he wrote this letter along with several other letters like Philippians and, and a few others. This letter, I'll summarize, is about Christ, the preeminent one, the first place one, the only and all-sufficient Savior who is both the object of our faith and the source of our life. So Christ as the object of our faith, faith and the source of our life. In this letter... Paul is arguing against a heresy that actually cheapened the person and work of Christ. That heresy basically called for human works of religion and denying the good things of this world. So you just put the stuff of the world aside and you just think about the spiritual things and that's how you're a good Christian. If you do that, then you're Christian. And that was the problem with that. Paul, it was Christ first. Christ as all. Nothing more than Christ, nothing less than Christ, simply Christ. And this is why proclaiming the gospel is so important. Let me read Colossians chapter 4, just a few verses, 
verses 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. Amen? All right, so let's look at this text under three headings. First, live devoted to watchful prayer. Second, live devoted to prayer with thankfulness. And third, live devoted to prayer for the gospel. So the idea is live devoted to prayer that is watchful, that is thankful, and that's devoted to the gospel. First, we see in verse 2 that we are to live devoted to watchful prayer. So here Paul tells us that we are to live our lives being devoted to or persistent in prayer. And we do this by being watchful. And, and that is to say that we pray with an attitude of mental alertness. What does this mean, to mental alertness, to be steadfast and watchful in prayer? It basically means that we should live in prayer in the context of our lives, paying attention to our circumstances and praying over every part of our lives not just slavishly, but praying in our lives in such a way that we are paying attention to the things that are changing in our lives and changing our prayers with the changing things in our lives. That's watchfulness. And so we are to pray at all times, Paul tells us in another place, without ceasing. And so you say, oh my goodness, how do I pray at all times without ceasing? Well, if we were watchful, if we were paying attention to what we have prayed, what we are praying, and the stories that God is weaving in our lives, and we believed, actually believed, that God, that to God every detail of your and my life matters, we would have a lot of stuff to pray about, right? If God cares about your parking space, you have a lot of stuff to pray about, right? If God cares about your work project, or whatever you're doing, then you've got a lot of stuff to pray about. So here's the way that I would say it. If everything matters, then everything is a matter of prayer. Right? If everything matters to God, then everything is a matter of prayer. So secondly, let's look at living a life devoted to thankful prayer. So in verse 2, we see that we are to live devoted to thankful prayer. Now, think about something with me for a moment. Have you ever met a pessimistic and cynical person? Okay. Now, they actually, in a good way, are always alert for things. They're paying attention to everything, aren't they? Now, they're often alert for things going wrong and for people to do things with wrong motives, right? With bad motives, right? That's what they're alerting for. But they actually, even though they believe that everything can go wrong, will go wrong, and that people do bad things on purpose, and many do, right? I mean, the people become cynical because they see things in the world that, that would make them cynical. Does that make sense? So let's not throw stones at them, but let's look at that and say they're being watchful, but what they're watching for is they're watching people. Right? Cynical and pessimistic people generally are watching people and the difficult things that are happening in their life. The problem, though, with pessimism and cynicism is that life is, becomes mostly joyless 
And the reason for it is because of a lack of a childlike spirit. Like, I don't know. Have, how many children have you met that are pessimistic and cynical? I'm not talking, we're not talking as they get older, I'm talking younger ones. They're really generally not pessimistic and cynical, are they? The world is their oyster. Everything is open to them. Everything is joyful. They can't wait to go see this or go do that. And they're always asking about what's next. And everything to them is going to be what, they, what, it, what it should be, right? So um, I think that people that come into a pessimistic cynicism spirit have lost that childlikeness. And instead of being alert and continuous in prayer, what is actually generally happens with pessimism and cynicism is you stop praying. Your pessimism and your cynicism, right, have transferred then to the, your view of God. So why pray, right? Does it really matter? Now, Paul tells us that we should be continuously praying, being watchful in prayer, but he tells us to do it in a way that is with thanksgiving. Now, why? Our heart needs to be guarded. You see, we need to be expectant or watchful. If we're going to be continuous praying, we have to believe that God is listening. And we have to believe that God loves to hear our prayer, no matter how messy and disjointed it is. And that he will pay attention to the things that we pray. And that we, we should pay attention to the things that he, we pray and that we have prayed. We should be, in attention to, be paying attention to what God has done. And we should then allow our continual prayers to be informed by what we see going on. So in other words, you pray, you watch, you see, you thank for God for what the story that he's doing in your current prayer. And then you now pray with that story and those changes in mind. It's a, it's a flow. It, take, it makes prayer that you're praying become alive, not just stagnant, praying the same thing over and over and over again. You're watching for things and you're saying, oh, God did that. Wow, that's really cool. Let me pray now like this, like a kid, right? So um, God loves to hear us pray. And so basically, thankfulness is what's going to happen is going to breed more prayer. Thankfulness will produce more prayer. Thankfulness allows us to see things accurately and not pessimistically. Thankfulness also has another benefit. It keeps his eye, its eye constantly fixed on God. See, watchful thankfulness is, is keeping its eye on God and what God is doing, not necessarily the circumstances that it sees in the present. And so, um, as we do this, we get to live in joy and delight. And it's, it's, it's no um, odd thing that we see in John 15 when Jesus says to abide in him and to be constant in prayer, that he says in there, throws in a little joy there. And he says, hey, that your joy may be full. So if you're living in expectancy and joyfulness, everything's, everything's new and fresh, then your prayers are going to lead to more joy and you'll lead to, to, to seeing all these wonderful things that God's doing and live a life of expectant joy. So what's the conclusion of these first two points? Prayer should be done, quite simply, with watchful thankfulness. I don't know how else to say it. Watchful thankfulness. Watchfulness helps us to pray well, and thankfulness helps us to pray optimistically. Right? Watchfulness helps us to pray well, and thankfulness helps us to pray optimistically. We see obstacles and difficulties, but we know that God is a God at work, and so we just keep praying. 
and we watch. And you know, sometimes we pray and you see things get worse. And that's okay. It's a story, right? Think about all the movies you watch. I mean, things are going along well and then boom, right? They fall out and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And then something exciting happens. And it just makes the valley that was so bad so much more beautiful when you see the ending. And that's the way that we need to pray with that idea. So now one hint on how we can do this is to remember whose we are. We are children of our Father. And this can produce thanks in us. But also, it will help us to be encouraged to continue in prayer. Why? Because you know that your Father loves you and that your Father is here to do good things for you. And I didn't make this up. Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good to those who are called according to God. Right? Who love God and are called according to His purposes. So let's move on. Live devoted to gospel prayer. This is kind of the major point that I want to draw this into. In verse 3, we, are to, we see that we are to live devoted to gospel prayer. You see that Paul goes on and he basically says in here, he says, Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here's the point. Have you ever had a great friend? One that loved you so much that most of their time, the time their desire was simply to see you happy? A friend who would do the things that you liked and who would work on the things that you desired. Someone who like really got you. Well, this kind of heart, a heart of a friend like that is the kind of heart that we should have for God. We should want what he wants. We should love what he loves. We should spend our time loving and living for him. We should do this in our day-to-day -day lives, but we should also do this in our prayers. What am I saying? Well, if we love him, we will want to spend our lives making sure that we are doing what he wants. It just makes sense. If you love God, you're going to spend your life trying to do the things that he wants, the things that makes him happy. Now, there's a side benefit for you, because really doing the things that God wants are going to make you the most happy. That's actually, if you've never read John Piper's Desiring God, it's a great book. It talks about that a lot. Um, so this is at the heart of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done. What you want should be done, right? It is, it is the heart of God, right? And so here the heart of God, I think we see in the scriptures throughout is a missionary heart, okay? It's a heart that comes to seek and to save the lost. In other words, what I'm saying, what is God's will? God's will is to seek and save the lost. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. God's will of seeing people saved is so great that the Father sent the Son, the Son willingly went, and the Holy Spirit empowered him for ministry so that he could share the good news of the coming kingdom of salvation in him. And that's the missionary heart of God. God has a missionary heart. So, here's my point, right? Is that if you look at Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 20, we see a God who seeks out his stubborn, rebellious people. And he has a heart for the gospel, the good news of what God did in Christ. And Jesus, of course, we know what he did. The Son of God came to earth, took on flesh, lived a perfect life. He died, he was buried, 
He bore the eternal wrath of God for our sake, for our sins, that was supposed to be poured out on us because of our sin. He was buried, it was raised from the dead on the third day, so that you and I could live forever as God's children, loved and protected and cared for by Him. The great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, right before He went to heaven, to go and make disciples, shows us Christ's heart. The Father's heart is seen in the Father sent His Son. The Son's heart is seen in the Great Commission, the last words that He spoke on earth. And so He spends His, his Jesus, if you think about this, wouldn't it be natural that we would have a heart for prayer that spends time focusing on the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for stuff, like parking places, you should, okay? But I'm saying you should also pray for the Gospel, You need to soak in. I need to soak in the missionary heart of God and pray for our neighbors, pray for our children, pray for our parents, pray for those who don't know Jesus, and pray that a door for the gospel would be opened. Now, isn't this funny? Like, who uses language like this? The gospel, the last time I checked, you think the gospel is a thing. But it says a door for the gospel. The interesting thing, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel needs a door, right? And so it's, it's interesting in that dynamic here in this very personal way, isn't it? There's a personal thing here. A door would be opened. You've got to walk through it. Paul's asking for God to open a way so that he would walk through it. And he prays then, actually, which is really what I wanted to kind of come down to and hit to at the end here and kind of close out with this, is when you know... That God's heart is for the gospel. You pray to him because prayer matters to God. And he wants us to bring everything to prayer. And we pray that there would be a door open for the gospel. Not only for other people to preach it, but for us to do it. But we also pray that we would then be faithful to act. We have to walk through the door. We pray that God gives us an opportunity to share the gospel. And when we see the opportunity, like Peter says, be always ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. And we take that opportunity. You don't have to be, have a doctorate in theology to tell the world simply these three things. You think of these letters, GMC. God the creator, man the sinner, Christ the savior. That's it. You can articulate that how deeply you want, but that's as simple as it is. God the creator, man the sinner, Christ the savior. It's not complicated. You don't make it complicated. And so take that door, walk through that door, pray for a door, and then be devoted to taking gospel action. Because we in our natural state, we don't have the guts to walk through that door. Paul didn't have the guts to walk through that door, which is why he asked for his people to pray. So... What I'd like us to see today is really we look and say, how do we practically do this? How do we continuously pray? Paul just told us we have to be watchful in prayer. And I know you've probably heard me say this many times, but my suggestion is that you think of prayer as story. Story. Not yes, maybe, wait, no. Not transactional, but story where God is working, where God is moving. And so... um, It doesn't simply mean just ask God for something and forget it either and just leave it there. The problem with doing that is you're not watching. So you pray and then you watch. 
We have to be alert. Paul tells us that we are to pray with watchfulness. We need to pay attention to what God is doing. And when we do, we will see him at work. And then we can continue to pray. But then we pray not only in watchfulness, but thankfulness. So that will spur us to pray more. And the cycle will be positive instead of negative. You want the cycle of prayer to be positive, not negative. So watchful thankfulness. And so can I humbly offer you a suggestion? Somebody told me this a while ago. And I think it's a great idea. It's, a, it's called Pray for Your Five. Okay? A friend said this, and it's basically like this. And other pe- there's been other people who've said this by different names. It's quite simply this. First, find five people. If you can't do five, find three. People that you know and you interact with regularly that aren't Christians. Okay? This could be your parents. This could be your kids. This could be your work co-workers. So find five people that you regularly interact with that you know don't know Jesus. Second, Enter into a prayer story with God for them. So start praying for them. Pray third, pray daily, asking God that he would have his way in their lives and that he would open the door for the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel, the good news of Christ reconciling all things to himself, um, to be made known to them. Fourth, that you pray daily for your own boldness and watchfulness. And don't worry, if you haven't got these, I'll send them out in a, to, to the worship emailing list at the, afterwards. Um, but you pray daily for your own boldness and watchfulness that you would be able to enter into a deeper friendship with them and a conversation about the gospel of Christ. And fifth, pray that you would then be able to clearly articulate the hope of Christ in the gospel to them. So that's it. Pick some people, pray for them, Pray that God will give you opportunities. Watch for opportunities. Take the opportunities and then pray and continue the story in thankfulness. It's not a rocket science, but it's something that I think will help you in having a heart that is aligned with God's heart, a missionary heart of prayer. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this, your word. We do ask that you would take it and you would apply it to our lives, that you would make it to to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would direct our ways in all things. And we ask, Father, that you would please make a door for the gospel with our friends, our family, our neighbors. And would you allow them to come to know you so that more and more people would find the joy that it is in being children of you, the living God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.